All right, welcome to Down by the Bank, sponsored by Brewers Pizza. This is Corey. Hey guys, what's up? It's Derek. Thank you again for joining us today. And we also, again, have another guest. And we are joined by Mike DiRocco, who covers the Jaguars for ESPN's NFL Nation. And more importantly, is our first and only three-time guest of Down by the Bank. Hey, Mike. Hey guys, that's a pretty good honor. I'm, I am honored. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, your, uh, your trophy and everything will be in the mail, so just keep an eye out for that. I don't know anything about a trophy. We do have a sponsor now. I don't know if you heard. So that uh, is awesome. big money, and, I, and I've been there. They have good pizza and good beer, so that's a cool yeah. place. Nice, nice. That's a great endorsement right there. All right. Well, just to kind of get started, did I read correctly on your Twitter feed that you were at Fenway at a Red Sox Yankees game this month? And if so, who is your team? Oh, I'm a Red Sox guy. I was originally born in Boston um, before moving to Orlando um, way back in 1980. Um, so yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan and, uh, yeah, we were up there on vacation. We went to uh, the Northeast, my wife and I, um, and we, uh, scored some tickets to the Red Sox Yankees game. First game after the all-star break, the walk-off win, uh, the walk-off walk that helped the Red Sox beat the Yankees, uh, Andrew Benintendi's walk. So yeah, we had a good time. It was awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I'm, an, I'm personally an Oakland A's fan. I, I picked them up in uh, in high school. Moneyball was my favorite book, and so that kind of got me into them. And then, of course, uh, Derek's a, a Chicago White Sox fan. So um, I'm shaking my head right now because <laughs> sales like what eleven and two with like oh, a two point two phenomenal, phenomenal this season. He's just so filthy watching him pitch, and he, he really should be unbeaten. They just haven't given him a whole heck of a lot of run support, but he has been awesome. It's been a fantastic pickup for them. Yeah, it's been a, uh, you know, they're like, oh, well, the White Sox, I'm sorry to get into so much baseball talk, but the White Sox, we got like eight prospects in the top 100. I said, that's not helping us right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oakland, Billy Bean, who uh, was going to be the Red Sox general manager before uh, intervention took place and then Theo Epstein became the, the god of baseball, officially announced that we're rebuilding for the uh, 100th time, I guess. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of getting a little up in the air with him. I don't know what to think anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it's got to be rough uh, from his standpoint. He doesn't have a lot of money and, the, you know, you end up losing guys to the big money teams. I mean, Moneyball was a fantastic book, and, and the movie I thought was really, really well done. And, you know, the beginning scenes where he's losing Johnny Damon and they know they're losing Jombie, and it's 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 something that they have to deal with all the time because they just can't compete money-wise. Well, enough of this uh, sports purgatory. Uh, camp is upon us, and we already got uh, two on the uh, pup list in Colvin and Ramsey. Yeah, it's it's so early, but they both play corner, so that's the only thing that's like, oh man, and they're opposite of each other, or one plays a slot, the other one will play outside. So what's what do you think their timetable is, uh, Mike, for when they come back? Um, my understanding is is it, they are not there because of any kind of setbacks. They're just there. They put them on the pup list because you know they're going to need a little bit more time in camp. I wouldn't be surprised if Ramsey. Um, doesn't do a whole heck of a lot in the first two weeks of camp. Um, you know, there's no reason to rush him back. I think, you know, we all know that he's going to be one of the better corners in the league. Uh, he keeps himself in great shape. He's a hard worker. He studies, you know, he's, he's not going to be a guy that doesn't come in and, and needs plenty of time to get going. I think he'll be fine, um, you know, if he's not you know, practicing much by the end of the second week, then maybe at that point I might get a little concerned. But I don't think there's any issue with either one of them from what I've been told. 
of this being a long-term issue. Um, obviously, Colvin, you, if you're him, you want to get back on the field as quick as possible because this is a big year for you. You've got to try and make your money this year. You're not going to get paid here as an outside corner, which is what he wants to do. So he's got to play injury-free football this season to kind of show that he's you know, worth another team investing some money in him. But uh, like I said, I don't think either one of those guys, it's, it's anything serious at this point. You know, Ramsey's surgery, I think the six-week mark is actually this Thursday, the day they start camp. So um, it's not a surprise to me at all that he's on pup, and, and I don't expect it to be for very long. They can come off any time when they're cleared, so it's not an issue. Same position, although, you know, we know one's on the on the nickel and the other one's outside, but it's like, oh, that's nice. Uh, but, hey, might as well have them out now and, and get healed up and ready, you know, for the, the middle of the preseason to get going and, and get start for the uh, early September for the regular season. Yeah, it, it's much better to have them take their time to get back so that there are no possibilities of setbacks. And, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. You know, and obviously you want to make sure Ramsey's completely 100% and don't take any chance with him anyway. So this is smart move as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, that's what you're hearing right now is a collective sigh of relief from every Jaguars fan with you speaking those words. So, so that's very good. One thing that there was not a sigh of relief on that was a, definitely a scary headline was the, and not to beat a dead horse with it, but Dante Fowler. So, you know, with his recent issue and the other things that have come to light recently uh, with the other arrests, I guess, last year, speeding tickets. Um, how do you see the Jaguars responding and what impact do you think it'll have on him in training camp and on the depth chart going forward? Well, I anticipate him having a very uncomfortable meeting with Tom Coughlin. Um, that's probably going to involve Dante not saying much, but yes, sir. Um, because I, I mean, I think they have to really get a hold of him and for lack of a better term, just kind of grab him by the the collar and kind of give him a little bit of a shake and, and kind of impress upon him. Hey, look, this is, I mean, this is slipping away from you. I mean, we have an issue with you as an immature kid. You have had nothing but chance after chance to kind of prove to us that you can be a mature player, that you can be somebody we can rely on. And he, and he hasn't done it. So, you know, and I know, you know, I've obviously was on vacation when Dante got a arrested the last time and, and and you look at the the incident in itself and you go well I mean it's not in terms of in arrests and and you know things that happen it's not exceptionally bad I mean he, it, it is bad but it shows that that he has not matured at all I mean he's driving through an apartment complex he's going a little too fast someone says something to him well then you get out of the car and you're knocking the guy's glasses off you're throwing his food in the, in, or whatever was in the, the grocery bags in the water. I mean, that's just a, that shows you that he has not matured in any way at all. And that's what the disappointing thing is because the Jaguars knew that he had a maturity problem when they drafted him, but they felt like that they could help him overcome that and that he would eventually grow out of that. Um, but it's obvious three years in that he has it. And, you know, the Jaguars showed him a lot of faith by guaranteeing that contract even after he got hurt. And he really hasn't repaid them for that in any way at all. I mean, he has four sacks and eight penalties. So you generally would prefer that the ratio be the other way around. But, you know, I think that he's got to understand that, that he's kind of running out of chances. I mean, he's got a lot more leeway than other players would because he was the number three overall pick um, and because they've invested that much money in him. 
But at this point right now, Yannick Ngakwe is their best edge rusher, and it's not even right. close. So he's already starting behind Yannick Ngakwe on the depth chart anyway, and he had to prove that he was worthy of being a guy that could get on the field more. And, you know, Todd Wash, the defensive coordinator, had told us, I think at the end of OTA's minicamp, that he was impressed with the way Fowler had matured in terms of, you know, being in there early, watching extra film, uh, doing some of the kind of things in the meeting room that they really liked, taking some of that stuff that he learned there and taking it over onto the field. But then you see this issue and then you go, well, I mean, how much has he really matured? So it's going to be a rough start to the year for him, um, for sure. I'm interested to see what the NFL does in terms of uh, punishment, because I think the Jags are going to wait and see what the NFL is going to do before they decide to do anything, uh, you know, in terms of punishment. We had Cliff Averill on, uh, you know, local guy, uh, plays for the Seahawks now, uh, about four or five, maybe six episodes ago. And he mentioned that Dante had reached out to him just to uh, to work on, uh, you know, just improving his game a little bit. So, you know, news like this just makes us think he's just not focused on football. So it's just kind of a bummer as a fan. But back to, to the comment you made, is there any chance that Coughlin tries to send a message by uh, taking a, a preemptive uh, suspension um, or putting that on the table and or maybe something as drastic as, as cutting him? Uh, well, they're not going to cut him uh, unless something else happens between now and when they cut him. This this incident's not going to get him cut. He's Even though when you look at the totality of all his issues with this, the arrest last year, uh, which now recently came to light, the problems that he's had driving under the speed limit and the video with um, his girlfriend and the mother of his child fighting and him refereeing it, you look at all of that together, and it's a, a bad picture of an immature kid who needs to grow up and grow up now. But he, like I said before, he's a number three overall pick. They've invested a lot of money in him. They're not going to cut him over something like this. So that's out. But, um, you know, I don't think that they're going to suspend him either. Um, when you again, It sounds bad that we're saying it like this, but, um, you know, what happened was bad, but if we're grading it on a scale of really bad things, um, you know, it wasn't a DUI, um, you know, it wasn't anything like that level. And, and it sounds weird to say that, but it's not too severe of a transgression. It's a bad deal and he shouldn't have done it, obviously, but I don't think it's going to get him, you know, any kind of severe punishment from Coughlin. I do think, like I said, that they're going to read him the right act. And if I were Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin, they've already tinkered with that Jag, the locker room where they move guys around. They're not sitting by position groups anymore. Dante's locker right now is next to Paul Pazluzny's. Well, if I'm Doug Marone or Tom Coughlin, I take Calais Campbell and I move his locker to the other side of Fowler. So I've got Fowler on one, or uh, Pazluzny on one side, Calais Campbell on the other side. And if those two guys can't get through to him, then it's a real issue. But those guys would be certainly a good influence on him being around him every day. You know, hopefully that turns out because my, my thing is I always say, hopefully the picks that we have can pan out and do well. Because one, you know, for them personally, you don't want to wish bad on any anyone. Uh, but two, it's for the team, it's another le- one less player that we have to get. So hopefully he's able to get this turned around. Um, let's switch gears here to the O-line. Um Pro football focus, which, you know, I'm not the, the biggest fan of. Uh, they ranked the Jags offensive line at 13th. Uh, do you agree with that? And, like, what do you think, you know, our starters are going to play out with as far as, you know, obviously with the addition of Brandon Albert and drafting Cam Robinson? 
Yeah, I don't want to disparage pro football focus because I do think they do good work and they do the things. They have their system and they do it uh, to the best of their ability. I, I don't know where the Jags offensive line ranks in the NFL, but I do know that I don't think it's very good. Um, so when I saw that it was 13th, I thought that was exceptionally high. Um, I have this conversation with um, some of the other beat writers. Uh, we've had it all throughout the spring when they really didn't do much to address the interior of the line of scrimmage at all in free agency or the draft. Um, mm-hmm. you know, drafting Cam Robinson as a tackle, um, great, but they had already traded for Brandon Albert. So you know, I feel like Robinson's probably going to end up playing left guard for the 2017 season and eventually move outside. But, you know, I didn't think that A.J. Can played particularly well last year. I didn't think that Jeremy Parnell played particularly well last year. Now, he did have a groin injury for much of the year, so there was a, a, an issue there. Um, I thought Brandon Linder was pretty good. I didn't think he was anything spectacular. Um, so I felt like, you know, for two, the last two years in a row, this team really should have done more to address the interior of that offensive line and they didn't. So, yeah, I, I just I, I look at this offensive line and I have this conversation with one of the other writers all the time. Like, what are we missing? Because they feel like that this group is pretty darn good and they're going to be fine and they're going to be able to run the ball, protect Bortles. And they did protect him a lot better last year than the year before. But what are we missing? Because I look at that offensive line and I see a below average offensive line. Uh, and the Jaguars look at it and see a line that's capable of being in the top half of the league. So one of us is wrong. <laughs> you know, what, what are we, because, and I think you guys as well, I mean, if you watch this line over the last several years, it's not been very good. So what, what are we missing that they're seeing? That's the thing that I have trouble with because when I look at that group, I don't see anything special. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I you know, to, to pro football focus, it's like, this is why it, it, when they rank them that high, I'm like, I don't know about that. That's why I say that those things. I don't agree with that or, or like that at all. But we were all texting each other during draft night, and I was screaming for a guard or a center. And then, you know, you, you pick Fournette and you pick Robinson, and those are great players. Those were great players in college, and hopefully they turn into great players at the professional level. But we still can't block. <laughs> or, so it's like th- that's been the problem is for the running game is we got to get you know some bodies down the field whether you got guards pulling or or trapping or whatever it is that you know that the, the play calls for. And I just don't see it with this group. So maybe obviously they're coaching and that's why they're in the league. So I hope they know something that we don't know. I pray well, they know something that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I had this conversation with uh, Dave Caldwell last year. Um, when the offensive line was really struggling early in the season and we were just talking, he's like, what more could I have done? And I'm like, well, you know, Alex Mack was available. Kalichi Assembly was available. And, you know, they didn't want to go after Mack, even though they had offered him the bigger deal several years before because they felt like he was getting too old. Well, he ended up with a pro in, a pro, in the Pro Bowl, had a Pro Bowl year. Assembly also made the Pro Bowl. You know, those were two guys that they could have targeted. Um, you know, Zeitler was a guy in free agency I thought they would and should target this year. You know, and if they had made those signings last year, even if they don't target anyone in, in, in free agency this year, at least you've got Assemble, you've got um, Alex Mack as your center, and you've got Brandon Leonard staying at right guard or left guard, whichever one you want to put him at, and move Assemble the other way. Now you're solid, very solid in the middle. You're actually pr- more than solid. You're pretty darn good in the middle. So they've really not done a whole heck of a lot 
to address the interior of this line. And I know they're talking, well, we added Brandon Albert. Well, Brandon Albert's 32. I don't think he's played a full year in the league since uh, 2012, I want to say. You know, and is he an upgrade over what you've had there? Yes. But he is, is he a guy that you're going to count on for maybe more than a year? Maybe two? No. Um, So Cam Robinson, like I said, I would be very surprised. Uh, And it would be a wasted pick. They would blow the pick if he's not on the field at left guard, if Albert's your left tackle, which is what I think they're going to do. But then next year, you're still in the same spot. You're still a little light in the interior. So what are you going to do there? But, you know, look, they have to run the ball. I mean, they've spent the entire offseason building this. They're talking about, hey, we're going to be a ground uh, based team. We're going to run the ball, play action. So Blake doesn't have to throw it 37 times a game. Well, if you can't do that, then your entire offense is going to look exactly like it has the last two years, where it's 35, 36 throws a game, and you're behind, and you're trying to catch up, and the run game has to go into the toilet anyway. So, you know, to me, the biggest issue they didn't address over the last two years that they should have was the offensive line. And we'll see if, if we're right or they're right, but I just, I just have a hard time believing that the unit's as good as they think it is. Well, first of all, just so you know, Mike, Derek is a analytics hater uh, through, through and through. So uh, PFF, Mike Renner was one of our uh, our guests one time. Shout out to PFF. We love you guys. Come on more. And um, and then also uh, we've uh, gone back and forth with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. And I think they put out their new almanac today. I, I didn't check to see if it actually officially came out. But uh, do you read any of that stuff, Mike? Do you like that stuff? I do, and, and we have you know our own sort of analytics site that we use at ESPN as well that we can kind of search for all kinds of numbers and stuff. And I do think that that stuff is good. I think it has a purpose. I think it's stuff that teams need to look at. So, to the thing I struggle with, and maybe I should admit this, but like I feel like I can go ahead and look at a corner or a skill guy and go, okay, that guy can play. This guy's pretty good because of this. The one area is that I have a hard time evaluating, you know, looking at and saying, well, why is this guy better than that guy is along the offensive and defensive lines. So um, I tend to, you know, to kind of rely on other stuff um, from there, rely on, on, uh, you know, like some of the analytics and stuff that, that you hear from PFF and football outsiders and, and, you know, the stuff that we do. So I don't want to say like, I don't like or trust analytics. I just don't, you know, I just... You know, it's like Malik Jackson saying, hey, you know, the Jags are going to go to the Super Bowl this year. It's like, whoa, I mean, hold on. When I hear that the Jags have the 13th best offensive line, I go, wait a minute. It's sort of the same thing. I'm like, what are you saying here? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me because I feel like, um, you know, from what we've seen the last two, three years, you know, this offensive line isn't very good. And Doug Marone admitted it. I don't know if you guys were at the season ticket holder um event that they had i want to say it was in february or whatever yeah. it was yeah and, i was yeah and he said hey look you know this you know these guys tell me they're you know they don't like the fact that they're being criticized well it's warranted some of it because they haven't played very well and if you want to stop being criticized then you got to play pretty well and look right. the thing is too like when they're talking about this needs to be a tougher team and tom coffin in one of his first press conferences he danced around it a little bit but the message was clear this is a soft team he felt this was a soft team. Well, the way you set the tone on being a tough team is with your offensive line. So, again, it, 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 it's hard to tell until they get the pads on, which will come on in the next week or so. 
But, I mean, that's all on the offensive line. If you want to be a tough team, your offensive line sets that tone. And the last several years, that offensive line has not set that tone. And, you know, I tend to agree with Coughlin. I don't think they were a very tough team. I wouldn't necessarily call them soft, but I don't think they were very tough. And the offensive line is a big reason for that. Yeah. I do love, by the way, and, and it's so so much of a homer thing, but I totally believe in my, Malik Jackson's prediction. <laughs> so. You guys are supposed to, absolutely. I heard him yeah. say that, and I was like, you have got to be post-concussion syndrome here or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, but, but you know what, though? It's like that in, in combination with like Jalen Ramsey's tweet the other day, wins and losses. I mean, I don't know. Like, It's kind of nice to have that feel to it now where the focus is wins and losses and not getting better. Nothing against Bradley, but it's just one of those things. Right. Well, I'll, I'll say this. When he said that, it kind of reminded me a little bit. I'm going to go back to my University of Florida days when I covered the Gators. I can remember, um, you know, Joe Kim Noah in 2000, uh, the 2005-2006 season, the beginning of the year was their sophomore year. He, he was talking about, we're really, this is a really good team. we got a chance to win the national title. We're going to go to the Final Four. We're going to be really good. we got a chance to, to win it all. And we're all like, okay, you guys were not very good last year. Noah was terrible as a freshman. Um, you know, well, I shouldn't say they weren't very good, but it was an embarrassingly early exit from the NCAA tournament. You know, and then when they get to the to the run, they're in the final four. And Noah's like, look, I told you guys we were going to be good. Well, I was like, well, why should we have believed you? We hadn't seen <laughs> anything out of you guys from the year before to believe that you guys were going to be this good. Yes, you ended up being right, but there was no reason for us or anyone to believe you. Now, Malik may end up being right, but there's really no reason for any of us to believe that they're going to be in the Super Bowl. I mean, it can happen, obviously, but it just kind of reminded me of what happened back then with Noah – um, you know, back, I guess it was in 05, 06. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that actually. Um, well kind of like one, again, back to another controversial topic. Sorry, Mike, but yeah, DD Westbrook, you know, he was a pretty controversial pickup in the fourth round, but it's definitely undeniable. Um, you know, the, the talent and the speed he brings to the position is probably just unavoidable to, to pick him up from Caldwell's perspective. So what should we be keeping an eye on with regards to Westbrook in relation to the Jags trying to find a role for him with the team? Yeah, he's intriguing. That's one of the the, the storylines that I really am looking forward to following in camp because, um, you know, Marone said that they're going to work him inside and outside, um, but I do think that he's probably a better fit in the slot. But you know, he didn't participate in OTAs and he didn't participate in minicamp because of an undisclosed injury. So, you know, that's some valuable time that he missed. And I think we saw, you know, if you remember Marquise Lee, his rookie year, he didn't participate in, in OTAs or minicamp either because he was hurt. And that gave a guy like Alan Hearns a lot of reps and he took advantage of it and was able to actually, you know, take over as the number two receiver, become a guy that they could really rely on and ended up having a really good year in 2015. So um, I wonder how much Westbrook has lost by not participating in all that stuff, because it's one thing to get it in the meeting room. It's another thing to do it on the field. Um, so I'm going to watch that pretty closely. And, and we'll have an idea, I think, early on in camp if he's going to be a guy that can be productive. But clearly, he gives them the option of having a really quick, um, explosive guy in the slot that's someone that they don't really – all three of those other guys can play the slot, Hearns, Robinson, and Allen, and uh, Lee. 
but they're not, I wouldn't call them true slot guys. I think Westbrook can be a really true slot guy for them and make some really good plays in, you know, in that short yardage area um, where he can get up on a corner or a defensive back really quick and, and then make a move and then get open. So if he's able to play uh, and, and is able to, to catch back up, then I think he's a guy that has the potential of a, you know, a 30 catch season maybe, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to remember, you know, with Hearns and Lee and Robinson and, and, you know, them running the ball more, that might be a significant contribution. And I expect him to, at the very least, to contribute in the return game. But he's certainly, you know, there's a lot of big playability there, and he compliments Marquise Lee in that uh, speed department. So it'll certainly be a good guy to watch throughout camp. Yeah, that's a, you know, well, obviously you can't teach speed. You can't, you know, coach it up. Um, so definitely having him will, will be a nice addition. And, you know, when the guy's subbed in and out, you know, you're not taking the defense isn't taking a break. You know, hopefully he becomes that type of uh, that type of player, whether it's in the slot or on the outside. Um, one of the big things to watch in, in, in camp is obviously the, the, the pause and miles jack change. Uh, you know, you know they've asked Paz to go to the outside. You know, what what are, can we as fans expect? You know that to look like. You know, is there anything we need to be watching out for? Like, you know, who's going to be calling the plays and so forth, especially on third down when there when there's only two linebackers. Obviously, Taylor and Smith will be one of them. So, what, what do you who do you think? Uh, what what should we looking out for? Well, you know, Miles is going to be the one that will be calling the plays. Um, now. At the beginning of OTAs and, uh, you know, way back in whatever that was, May or April, I can't even remember. It seems like nine months ago. Um, <laughs> he struggled with that, which you would expect. Um, but thankfully, you know, he had Puzlesny right next to him to really kind of help him through it. Um, so I don't think that there's going to be an issue in terms of, you know, having needing, you know, Telvin or Pause to really kind of help him out with that. I think by the time you know, the season starts, he should be in pretty good shape mentally there. Um, the interesting thing for me is, is, you know, he gives them a much better option uh, in terms of coverage. Like he's a guy that can cover guys a little further down the field than Paz could. And that's obviously why they want him in there. Um, he's a prototypical coverage linebacker. And that's kind of what you need in the NFL right now. So I think it's it, it was a move that I didn't think was going to come this year. I thought it would come next year. Um, they're doing it a year early, and I understand why they are um, because he's a young guy. You need to get him in there. He gives you much more athleticism there than Puzlesny does. Um, so it's just going to be a rough adjustment for him uh, because it's you go from playing, what, 200 snaps or 150 snaps to now playing pretty much every down because it's going to be him and, and Telvin on the field on third down. Uh, the interesting thing for me, though, is is how is Paz going to handle the adjustment? Because what he talked to us about in the spring was his sight line is now so different. You know, he was five, six yards off the ball before. Everything that he saw was in front of him. Now, you know, he shifts over. He's closer to the line of scrimmage. It's a different optic for him. He's got different keys to read. Um, he's got to read the tight end. He's got to read a bunch of other stuff. And things are coming at him in different directions. And it's been a huge change for him, and, and he's still hesitating. He's still, it's still not as instinctive as it was 
at middle linebacker, which you expect because he played eight, nine years, ten years at middle linebacker. That's all he's ever played in the NFL. So how soon can he make that adjustment? Knowing Puzz, he's working his tail off doing it, and you know he's going to do everything he can to be ready, but there's still going to be an element of hesitation there, I think, for him well into the season. So as much as we talk about Puzz helping Miles Jack deal with the transition, it's just as important the other way because Puzz has gone to Miles and said, hey, what am I looking for here? What am I supposed to do here? Um, you know, how do I handle this? So, you know, you're going to see a lot of communication between those two when you're out at the practices, when they're not even on the field, they'll be talking and trying to figure some stuff out together. So I think that's an interesting thing to watch because they're both kind of relying on each other to learn the positions that they the other guy played. So it's going to be fun to watch because I think if Miles Jack is mentally able to get everything down, then I think he does give them a chance or he does give them uh, one of the more athletic linebackers in the league. And, and you can do a lot of stuff with him and Telvin Smith on the field at the same time. Yeah. That, uh, you know, that the old story of him out of, out of, out of college when he covered Nelson Aguilar, the wide receiver for USC, um, and locked him up man to man and linebacker on a wide receiver. And he was able to do it, you know, um, obviously bouncing back with the with the knee injury and you know so I'm hoping to see some flashes of that and then as far as the the plays uh, isn't isn't it like the, don't they the coaching staff has so many seconds to relay the play before the mics cut off and they can only say so much because that's being monitored too what is it like twenty seconds I think yeah the bigger issue though is the plays in and okay we've got to make a check we've got to make an adjustment. And that falls on the middle linebacker and he's got to recognize it, make the right call to get them in the right defense or make the right check, make, make the right adjustment, and then make sure that's communicated properly to the guys in front of him and the guys behind him. And that's where Puzz has been so good uh, over the course of his career. And that's where you're probably going to run into some issues with Jack. It's not necessarily getting the play. It's making the adjustments and getting it. Uh, communicated effectively and and that's got to get done really really quickly it's something he's going to struggle with and that's I mean the Jags understand that I think everybody understands it but he's got to get better at it quickly um, you know and, and that's where Puzz is, has been helping him obviously uh, Miles told us in the spring that there have been some times where he's seen something that he's supposed to make the check and adjustment to and he's kind of looked a little confused and, and Puzz was on the field with him and kind of leaned over and whispered, hey, make this call, make this check. Um, instead of making it himself, he wants the, the team to hear it from Miles. And Miles has made the call and, and made the adjustment and things worked out. But that's in practice. Um, we have a little bit more time. So he's got to get much better at that. And once he does and he feels comfortable with it, then the communication will come quicker. Um, and that's, like I said, where Puzz excelled so much over the last several years. Yeah, definitely in the press conferences, it's really cool to see those guys talk about each other and interact. Uh, seems like they've developed a pretty good uh, relationship, which is always good to see. I know it is early, <laughs> really early, <laughs> but if you had any predictions just you know, because of how close you are to the team, I mean, you, you probably know this team better than anybody else, uh, what predictions would you have on perhaps a surprise player to make the team and perhaps maybe a surprise cut? Ooh. Yeah, you know, I thought about that and you know, it's it's funny because I was trying to find sort of a surprise guy to make the team and and I don't necessarily know that there are a lot of 
positions um, where the starting role isn't really established yet. You know what I mean? I think there's just a, right. you know, I, to me, if, if a guy that might not make the team, a surprise guy that might not make the team or a bubble guy uh, would be Rashad Green, um, you know, the fifth round pick from several years ago who had a fantastic year as a rookie, uh, especially as a punt returner. Um, and then last year really, really struggled, had the injury, dropped, what, two punts. Um, so he's on the bubble because, you know, if the Jaguars are going to keep uh, five receivers, the first three are set um, uh, in, in Robinson, Lee, and Hearns. Uh, the next guy is probably really a spend uh, because of special teams issues. So now if they're keeping five or six guys, you have to figure out, well, is the fifth guy going to be Green or is it going to be Westbrook? I would assume it would be Westbrook. Um, because you don't take the guy in the fourth round and have all these plans for him, and then uh, he doesn't make the team. Um, and you can't cut him, because if you cut him, someone else will snatch him up. So you're kind of you know, locked in and keep him there. So Rashad Green, to me, is squarely on the bubble. Um, you know, and, and a guy, another guy that you know, it may not be a, a, like a, a veteran that's, um, you know, maybe a guy, a name people would recognize, certainly might be a guy like Luke Boanko. Who, um, you know, I mean, there's going to be some shuffling around there at the offensive line. They got to figure out what they're going to do with, you know, the interior there. But he's a guy that can play center, guard. They even repped him at tackle. Um, but you know, there's just there's just so many spots that you can have, and he might be a, a guy to, to watch in terms of a name guy. But I don't really see any, you know, like people talk about Puzz being no Puzz is not on the bubble. Now, would it surprise me um, if he were involved in a trade? Yeah, not at all. Um, but I don't think he's a roster cut by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I feel like, you know, it's, I mean, I, in a way that's good. That means you don't have a lot of, uh, you have some established starters who are pretty good, but in, you know, in another way, it's like, you know, you kind of want to bring some young guys in that can kind of push guys, but, you know, I don't really anticipate a lot of surprise cuts, um, you know, for this team. So are we going to see you uh, down at camp at all, uh, you know, in person? And, and are you going to have a, a cool style out there in the heat that we should keep an eye out for? <laughs> yeah, I've hired someone to stand behind me with a fan throughout the entire camp. Uh, uh, yes, nice. I know. I, it, I really need to do that. <laughs> it is so ridiculous. I, I was, you know, I'll say this. 1030 to 1 is probably a pretty good hot part of the day there. So, um yeah, I mean, I'm going to have a big hat on. That's going to be my style statement, I mean, having a big hat on to keep the sun off my bald head. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It's, you know, we've had however many months without football on the field, and it's it's finally getting here. And like I said, that first week of camp seems to drag, but once you get to those preseason games, it goes quick, and the regular season will be here before we know it. So looking forward to it. And um, I guess uh, I'm going to see a lot of you guys out there for the open practices, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You'll definitely see us. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys. And if I walk by and don't see you, you know, wave at me or you know, throw a rock or something at me to get my attention because obviously I love to chat with you guys. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take the person that's you hired to you know to hold that umbrella and that spray bottle and just direct them my way, and yeah. you'll turn around and you'll see it's us. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in the new indoor practice facility, you might have that as like one of the options there. It's pretty fancy, I've heard. Yeah, so. I'm looking forward to. Uh, I don't know if uh, I know. Like Gus Bradley's thing was, you know, they wanted to 
to take the guys into an indoor facility after two days outside because they, you know, the studies that they did um, that, you know, guys were just not as effective after it working three days in the heat. So they, their idea was, you know, hey, if we get ever get one built, we'll go two days outside and then another day inside to kind of help them refresh. But I think Doug Marone's going to keep them outside unless, you know, it rains and they absolutely have to go in there because he's talked, like I said, about being a tough team and setting the tone. And, you know, he wants them to be able to fight through this this heat and this this humidity, just like, uh, you know, he, they're going to have to do on game day. So I'd be surprised if they're in the indoor unless it rains. Right, right. Well, Mike, again, thanks so much for taking the time to you to us. Like literally, you're probably our number one uh, Jaguar sports related person because you got us started back in uh, episode three. And, uh, you know, we're back on uh, episode 55 now. So you kind of got us started, got us on the map there. So we're always very appreciative of that. Um, and if you guys uh, haven't already, you know, checked out his stuff and, you know, who are we to plug him? Because he's obviously way more well known than we are. But, you know, of course, he's on ESPN and he's an awesome follow on at ESPN Duraco. He's one of the, the few people on Twitter that I have set up for text alerts. Highly recommend it for breaking uh, Jaguars news and opinions. But yeah, follow him at ESPN uh, Duraco. Uh, you can find his stuff on ESPN.com. We'll link up everything in the podcast description. And uh, thanks again, Mike, for taking the time. Guys, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Anytime you guys need me, I'll be happy to come on. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.